The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Spirituality and Health Magazine. I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today, Hilda Montenegro Fix, is an Olympic whitewater slalom kayaker, which is probably harder to do even than it is hard to say. She's also the founder of Celebrate Diversity, which we're going to find out what that is, a consulting and training company focused on cultural agility, which I want to talk to you about that, yes. a motivational speaker, and also the author of an amazingly fine essay in the January-February 2024 issue of Spirituality Health Magazine called Remembering Love. So, Hilda, welcome to the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Thank you so much, Rabbi Rami. I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm happy to have you here because I have all these questions just from yes. your bio alone. <laughs> so let, let's, before we get into the essay, let's talk about cultural agility and what, what that is. Okay, okay. So I, my family traveled a lot since I was young. And when I heard about the term cultural agility the first time, I thought, oh, that is that represents my life because my family moved to Ecuador when I was six years old. I'm originally from Costa Rica. We came back to Costa Rica for a few years. Then I moved to Mexico and then Spain, back to Costa Rica where I became a whitewater raft guide. And then I traveled on my own for about 10 years. And then I met my husband and we traveled together for about another 10 years. So by the time I, my professional life, you know, opened these opportunities, I had this theory that, that throughout the places where I had lived, there were some commonalities and that being agile enough to understand the different cultures would make it so that our world would have a better chance at peace because we could understand each other given, you know, based on my own experience, my own living experience. How does that run into the issue of cultural appropriation? Ah, that is something that I think without trying to minimize something that is important to recognize, I believe that in the whole field of equity, diversity, and inclusion, there are some things that have been made into very problematic issues, which then makes a solution harder to find. So what I mean with that is it's important to recognize if cultural appropriation happens, and yet, it, it makes people afraid then that whatever they do is going to be cultural appropriation and it's going to be politically incorrect. And when people are afraid, that usually doesn't lead to good results. So my perspective is, yes, let's be aware. Let's find out how we can do better. But instead of being so afraid that we don't even dare to ask questions or say things for fear of being wrong, let's be open to making mistakes and learning and then doing better next time. 
And I think that cultural agility will help you not fall into cultural appropriation because what it means is you're flexible enough to say, oh, I made a mistake. I, I made an assumption. Let me do better, right? And I think that yeah. the term of cultural appropriation really refers to when somebody knowingly is taking advantage, especially financial advantage of somebody that is otherwise underserved or a culture or, or, you know, wisdom or anything like that. But if that is not the intention and you're trying to learn or curious about a culture, that's why I said it's a fine line, right? So I believe intention has something to do with it and result has something to do with it. And I feel that it can become something more that will take focus and discernment to figure out, okay, what is this situation? So I would say it's something that you need to play by ear situation by situation. In some cases, it's very clear. In other cases, it may be more of a need for a conversation. Well, that yeah, that makes total sense. I'm, I'm looking at the magazine article, looking at the magazine, so I see not just the text, but I, I see your photograph. And in your photograph, you're wearing a kind of hoop earring. And I was told that only people from Mexico, Hispanic culture, South America, only certain people can wear hoop earrings. Uh-huh. And if women not from those cultures wear hoop earrings, that's cultural appropriation. Uh-huh. And they're stealing someone's culture and they have no right to wear those. Right. And yes, I, sounds, I disagree. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like you would. Okay. Yes. And that's, yes. that doesn't sound, I mean, that sounds ridiculous to me. It but is. then. It is. You know, I'm a Jewish male, and, yes. and that just may be my bias. Well, but it's, you know, like, for example, there's a thing about, for example, cultures that have created, or for example, not created, but that would sell artifacts of their culture, right? And then tourists would go and buy those. And this is uh, something that has happened, and it has given people uh, a way to make a living and, and hopefully pride in their culture and in sharing what they do and what they have with other people. I would not say that buying those products necessarily is cultural appropriation. It could also be seen as I'm helping and I am bringing something that I respect and honor. It'll have a special place in my, whether it's my jewelry box or my house because it's a painting or a, an art piece, right? So this is where I'm saying it's a fine line and there's discernment that's necessary. So of course, when we find exploitation, then that's not okay. But again, so then the way to discern for me is to go back to what are the different perspectives of this one situation? Who's benefiting? Who, who is involved? Is somebody here being victimized or not? You know, before I would just put a, a, a broad statement that anything, anybody wearing hoop earrings is appropriating. I think that's a little extreme. Okay, I, I get <laughs> that. And, and I like the, the notion of discernment because not it sounds to me like not only are you asking people to engage in introspection, uh-huh. but also conversation uh-huh. rather than just you know, someone challenges someone and say, well, you're wearing that kind of earring, that's appropriation, I, you know, I, and they start berating the other person. You're, you're, engage, you, you're suggesting, I, this is what I'm hearing, that you engage in conversation and then what? both people can learn from the conversation and maybe you don't wear the earring or maybe the other person starts, does, stops freaking out about an earring and starts that's thinking of something more, more important. More uh, profound. Yes, yeah, and, more, and yes, also more profound. 
the I think that the intention, you know, this is again one of the problems with this whole field of equity, diversity, and inclusion that we have encountered is that things got a little bit pushed to an extreme of what is politically correct, what is okay to do, what is okay to say, what is not okay. Right. And so cultural appropriation is one example, but there are many others, right? And how we what words we use for groups of people. I mean, there's so much. There are so many areas where things are changing and growing every day. That's why I love the term agility, because it denotes a need for flexibility, for being curious and open so that you can really understand that in depth, what is the situation? And I think that there are just no blanket things like that. Everything is specific to the place and the people involved. So, for example, I... When I lived in Oregon, in Ashland, there was a presentation of an African chorus that came to sing in Southern Oregon at the Green Show. And they had these beautiful African shirts that they were selling to help subsidize their travel expenses. And I really, really wanted one of those shirts. And I remember choosing not to buy one because I thought when I wear this down the street, people are going to say I'm appropriating the African culture. And now I, I regret that move because that intimidation of the cultural of the of the atmosphere right of the politically polarized atmosphere stopped me from doing something that had a good intention and that would have been appreciated by the people who were selling the shirts and it would have made me very happy because i love those shirts they were beautiful and so you know this is a very minor example but i think that that fear holds us back from doing things that actually can be helpful I think it's it's a small example. I wouldn't say it's minor. I think people right. run into that kind of thing all the time. I mean, okay. I don't, I know, I don't know what the group was, who the group was, but if they were selling CDs of their music, you could right. make the same point. Well, I won't, I won't buy the CD because <laughs> now I'm appropriating their music and I'm listening exactly. to it at my house. And exactly. I mean, it, it gets. I mean, especially when you're talking about music, exactly. to keep the music culturally distinct. Meaning, not that that each culture should not honor, maintain, deepen, and you know its own distinct sound, yeah, but right. to lock it into a silo means right. that there's no cross fertilization exactly. and there's no fusion between different cultural sounds. Music then doesn't evolve. Yeah, there's no you lose your the creative edge. Absolutely, so, and I I believe that happens in in so many other areas too, right? Paintings, yeah. art pieces, clothing, film, books, everything. We really don't live anymore in a world that that is so separated. And I think that what's interesting and and again challenging is to be inclusive and yet still honoring the uniqueness of each contribution, right? Really honoring what each place, what each tradition brings. And it's not a mishmash of everything, but we are moving into a world that has more and more influences. People travel, people marry across cultures, across religions, you know, so so we need these tools. To me, cultural agility helps us live in the kind of world that we are becoming. Would I, I took two more questions about this and then we can move on. But I I'm re I really love your use of the world, the word agility. And I'm two two questions. One is, have you thought of expanding it? So there's cultural agility. I think we need political agility, spiritual agility. You know, yes. I, mean, I mean, you could apply it in so many fields. Well, the thing is, in my when I offer my my training and and you know keynotes and all of that, the word culture is very vast, right? So it includes language, religion, ethnicity. 
and we go and explore what does culture mean? What does it mean to you? What does it mean in this country, in this part of the country, in this organization, right? And so we find that an organization has a culture of its own and an individual has a culture of their own. And, and so culture really, I, I use it in a very broad term and it helps us understand that what it is is a, a set of beliefs and narratives that we have adopted, right? And so, and it's, it's malleable, it is evolving, and it, we, I think it helps us expand the concept and understand deeper who we are and what we do that we sometimes do unconsciously. So the culture of an organization, for example, could be what you read between the lines. It's not explicitly said, but it's how we do things around here. So in an organization that allows, for example, bullying, there's a certain culture that you could say is toxic and they would never admit it wouldn't be in the protocol of how we work in this company but it is the reality of what happens there so becoming aware of what kind of culture we have uh, in our family in our work in our community in our neighborhood gives us the key to be able to assess is this how we want it to be or is there something here that that could be changed to make it better for everyone so that's that's how I see the word culture. And that's why cultural agility makes so much sense to me because I feel that this helps us just simply understand what is happening, look back at the history, how did we get here, and then assess and decide. How do we move on? What is it we want? And if we want to create a place that's, that's good for everyone, how do we do that? I, I often use the word and I'm not going to do it anymore if I can remember. I usually would used to talk about cultural literacy, spiritual literacy. I like agility better <laughs> because when I would say cultural literacy, it's pretty stagnant. Uh -huh. now, I mean, I'm just thinking about this, you know, off the top of my head, listening to you. Yeah. But, you know, if I'm culturally literate in X culture, Chinese culture, then mm -hmm. what I know is the culture as it was fixed in a certain time period, let's say. Well, but if I'm culture, if I have cultural agility, then I, I'm 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 literate. I'm again. I'm making this up in the foundational elements. But I can then, like you said at the beginning, I'm more flexible. I can stretch with it. I can play with it. I mm -hmm. see it in a much more expansive, dynamic, and evolving sense then literacy which seems a little more fixed. So, okay. so I really appreciate that. So when you go out and do your motivational speaking, I want to ask you a couple of things well, about that before we well, get to the essay. But when you go out and do your motivational speaking, you're speaking about this cultural agility. Is that uh -huh. fair to say? Yes, absolutely. How difficult, I, I mean, what's the response of the audience? Yeah, are, yeah, they, yeah. are they going, Oh yeah, I want to stretch or oh no. <laughs> I'm not so interested. Oh, most people want to stretch, want to open up. The word that I like to use is curious, you know. Oh, okay. To be culturally agile in in the example that you were giving when you talk about cultural literacy or even, you know, in the field of equity, diversity and inclusion, we used to talk about cultural competency. So 
to me, both of those terms have an aspect of right or wrong, or yes, I checked the box, I'm now culturally competent because I took this training, or I am culturally literate because I read this books or took these courses. So it's more of a yes and no, good or bad, right or wrong. Whereas the agility has, because the, the way to become culturally agile is by being open and curious. It's like an open-ended learning, right? And it's also unique to you and your experience and your and your environment and the people that you're interacting with. So it's a lot harder. One of the things I would tell my clients is there is no manual about how to work with, for example, the Latino community, which is where I'm where I come from. You cannot say this is the book of how to work with Latinos because Latinos are very diverse, just like, you know, people from any other culture or ethnicity. So the, when we focus on curiosity, first of all, it moves people away from the right and wrong, and it helps them not be afraid to do it wrong, right? To be politically incorrect, to put their foot in their mouth. Like it's saying, look, we're human. We all do that at one point or another. The question is, what do you do with that information? Do you grow and improve? And do you stay curious and keep learning more and more? So there is never a point where you can just check the box and say, okay, I did that. I did the cultural agility. I'm now at 100% culturally agile, right? And so I think that's part of life. There is always more to learn and it keeps us engaged and it keeps us being the authority in our own journey of becoming more curious, more open, learning more. To me, that's exciting. <laughs> so well, I mean, listening to you, I think it's very exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm coming out of the academic yes. world and I, I haven't been in the university in a while, but still I keep, you know, I, 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 my kids, both my daughter-in-law and my son are, professors and, and I sort of keep my ear to see what's going on in the campus locally. Yeah. DEI seems, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion seems pretty binary and, and the definitions are fixed. So you're, you're talking about, I mean, you said it twice, you used the word Latinos twice. Well, now in, in that world that my kids are in, that's dangerous because someone's going to jump up and go Latinx. Even though I don't know any Latinos who say Latin X, yes. it's like it's because like it's the not, gringo world. Not, exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. That's why the right and wrong is so dangerous because somebody's gonna turn around and tell you, well, that's a gringo term. That does not exist in Spanish. Latinx yeah. is not a Spanish term, you know? And so and yet I am absolutely understand the desire to be inclusive and to be non-binary with when it comes to gender, right? So, yeah. but when you start saying right and wrong, you put yourself on the line too, that somebody's going to say what you're saying is wrong. So, and honestly, I just don't think that, that not only is it not safe, but it's not inclusive. It's exclusive. It's saying somebody is out of the circle of concern because they're doing this bad thing. To me, I don't want anybody. Inclusion means I want everybody to be within my circle of concern. I want everyone to be part of, you know, because I see everyone as a human being that, has not only a right, but absolutely the, you know, you, you are part of the family, you are part of this, of this humanity. And why would I feel entitled or capable in any way to exclude someone? Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. 
experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. You know, I, I agree with you. I don't, um, I, I can't answer the question, why would yeah. you feel in time? But I know people whose entire vocabulary is completely binary right. on the left. You know, not, I'm not, I mean, I know fascists who no, are my, binary on the other side, but no, I my. know people who call themselves progressive mm-hmm. whose vocabulary is completely binary on, on the progressive side. And listening to you and then trying to understand what they're saying, it's almost they're anti-change, anti-learning. Mm-hmm. It's like they've got everything in a box except the box as they present it, or you're wrong. Right. And and there's a fear there okay. that you talk about fear, and, and I want to get to that a little bit later, uh-huh. but if I if we jump to it now, it'll be yeah. out of context. <laughs> but, but you talk about the importance of, of dealing with fear in, in in this whole context of well, ultimately becoming happy. So let, let, let's go to the, the essay, because in the essay, you, this this is my term, not yours, but okay. you sort of put forth like a manifesto of sorts. Oh. And I, I'm going to quote from the essay itself. You write, we all want to be happy. We want our children to be healthy and to have the opportunity for diverse experiences through their lives. We understand innately that we as humanity want growth, connection, joy, mutual support, safety, and a future to dream into reality. We want to see that our lives have meaning and that we can influence and co-create good outcomes for all." Close quote. So I don't know if that's true, but that's, well, okay. that's where you're coming from. Yes. And I, I, this is how I'm reading what I'm calling your manifesto. Uh-huh. Because you start with, we all want to be happy. I think that's your foundational message. And the rest of it, we want our kids to be healthy and diverse experiences, mutual support, safety, all all the rest of it. But those are elements of what it takes for us to be happy. How, what makes you think that people want to be happy? I mean, it sounds (laughs) like a stupid question, but but I, I don't think it is. Mm, mm. I think it's the the instinct, just like plants grow towards the sun. I believe human beings, you know, our our what attracts us, the reason why we do the things we do is because we're looking for that fulfillment. And from my personal experience, which is why I agree with you in terms of the manifesto, what I have seen the most of is that desire to do what you think is best, what's going to lead you to happiness or your children or your people to to be well, right? And, and that's very broad. And the word happy, you know, can have many, many different interpretations. Like what you could say, well, what makes you happy doesn't make me happy. So what do we do then? <laughs> but I think that what is important about that is that Again, from my perspective, that's how I see us operate in the world, exist in the world. And when I try to look through the differences to what are the commonalities, what do we have that brings us together? It's very easy for me to identify these things that I mentioned in there. 
Yeah, you, but I, I think, I mean, you're certainly right. What makes one person happy may be different than what makes another person happy. Or, But the categories are shared. So you say, yeah. we want our children to be healthy. So, but one person might define, might define what makes their kids healthy differently than someone else might define that. But that's that's just human nature. But Absolutely. the fact is we can bond yes. over our shared concern about our healthy yes. kids. Exactly. So now I, I think the details are where we can have, just to use your language, I think, <laughs> the details are where we need to be flexible to have agility. Yes. And yes. the details are where we can have conversations. But and it's where the, the juice is. <laughs> ex yeah, right, exactly. Right. In, in the, Costa Rica, when I grew up, we had this saying, en la variedad está el gusto. In the diversity or in the variety is the enjoyment or the flavor right. or the taste, right? And so right. I think that's what makes life exciting. And why we get curious about each other is because we have differences, right? Because if we were all the same, then I think it'd be pretty straightforward and different from what we see. <laughs> and so and the, this option, this possibility that we have right now that the world feels polarized and people are afraid and, and everything is like, wow, to the extremes, that's the opportunity that we have to embrace this possibility that we could actually build bridges of understanding across those differences. And that's a great challenge in my mind. It's, it, it's going to take time, commitment, desire, agility, you know, and, and yeah, a commitment that even when it's not easy, we still want to do that. But I believe it's absolutely possible. And it's, it's possible because the categories are shared. The happiness you know? idea, the future to dream into reality is, is shared, though the details are different. But that, mm -hmm. like you yeah. said, that's where the juice is. The problem is, and, and you state this, what prevents us from doing that is Fear. I mean, it seems the, the big blockage is fear. Where do you think the fear comes from? Yeah. That's a great question. I believe from, from the, somehow we also believe that we are separate and that we are less than vulnerable to, to the degree that yeah, that there is suffering that, and that somehow the world is not a safe and friendly place. And so when you stand in that belief, fear is the, the, the understandable consequence. And when you're afraid, what comes next is to protect what you think can be, can be taken from you and to fight. And, you know, I, I believe when it comes to fighting, that's why in the in the article I, I talked about fights because it's while it is part of what we do as human beings, I wonder, I question, is that what we want to do? Is that how we want to keep acting? Or do we at some point grow out of that and occupy a different level, a different a different reality where fighting is not what's gonna get us to what we want? And I come from a country that has no army and, you know, it's very different. We are very proud of not being a military state and we have schools and churches and soccer fields in every little town, but no army for many years. And I think that it has worked and people, it's by no means a perfect country or anything, but we have 
And one of our presidents was a Nobel Peace Prize, Dr. Oscar Arias. So I believe that in our country, there's quite a desire to find other ways to, to solve our problems that is not through, you know, military dominance. So, so let's and talk about... I don't want to get too deep into that topic right now. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's fine. That's fine. But you, you do offer an interesting take on an alternative to fear. And, and the opposite of fear is, is love. And, and the article in Spirituality Health Magazine is called Remembering Love. And I, I thought that was an interesting way to frame it. And, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but, but let me see where this takes you. So yes. you could say, you could make love a command, love your neighbor as yourself. You should you know, love God, love the stranger. I mean, those are commands. You yes. can't command love. Love is a, an emotion. So it, it, it's, a, it's a stupid thing to say. Oops. And in the Bible, when it in the Hebrew Bible, when it says love your neighbor or love the stranger, when the rabbis get a hold of it, they interpret love in a non-emotional way. They, they mean Good. treat the stranger or, the, or your neighbor with respect. And they have a whole list of things, but none of them are the emotional, the words that we would think of when we think of love as an emotion. But I'm going to mm -hmm. put that aside. Right. So if, if love is, in fact, a, uh, the opposite of fear, that if you have love, you don't fear. And, and if you can't command love, in the phrase remembering love, you can command the act of remembering. So when you say remembering love, I'm hearing something very different than you better love. Well, right? that, that doesn't work. So what, what do you have in mind by the phrase remembering love? Yes. Thank you for that beautiful question. In a way, it implies that love was there from the beginning and that we are love and that we have maybe forgotten or at moments that reality escapes us. And so the way that I see remembering love, the way that I feel remembering love <clears throat> is to come back to our essence to go deeper to what is true, what is the deepest truth of who we are. And, and I think that when we talked about what people want, those deep wants that I mentioned in there come from love, right? We do a lot of things for our children because we love them so much. Sometimes not the right things, but we do it because we love and we care. So, and I think again, the love that I'm talking about when I say remember love is that spiritual level love, not, you know, not the romantic love necessarily or, or you know, the interpersonal or to say, oh, you have to do these things for your neighbor. I, I love that you brought up the word command. In my trainings, people would often ask, uh -huh, do we make this training mandatory? And I said, please don't, please don't. You know, you cannot make people care. You can you can invite people to be curious. You can invite people to open their minds and open their hearts, but you cannot make them. So the invitation to remember love is, from my perspective, implying that we are love and love is here. And all that has happened is that it has been compromised because of certain beliefs that we are holding and it can be uh, reconnected with. And when we stand in that reality, which is not easy, and it's, I would say, challenging to maintain, that is what I'm 
trying to do every day, you know, to remember to stay grounded in that, then we make different choices. We live differently. And I believe that even in the pursuit of it, while it's still tricky, it's a very worthwhile endeavor and a fun adventure as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the fun adventure part is people don't realize that that <laughs> is necessarily a part of it. So when you go, you're invited to a company or a, uh, an organization Perfect. and you're doing, because that's your primary work is motivational speaking. Can you give those who are listening to the show, can you give us, and the, if the answer is no, fine, no. <laughs> but can you give us some Motive, give us some motivational tip to help us remember love. Uh, easy. It feels better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So something practical we can do to... Uh, to... Well, it's self-healing, right? And so in, in the training, we go from, from the center. I very much believe that things in the world, when we want to make real, authentic and profound change or movement forward, it has to start very, very close to home, like right in our own center. And cultural agility and harmony and, and awareness are things that are going to be good for you first. You are going to be a happier person. You're going to be a healthier person when you become aware of what has happened in your life. Where did your beliefs come from? Are those beliefs still healthy and good for you? Or do you want to choose differently? How do you treat the people close to you? What impact do you have on other people? And then you get to choose, do I want to make that a more positive impact? And therefore, what would I, what would I want to change in myself? So I think that the first fractal is that it's good for us ourselves. And it will also improve our relationships, improve you know, everything, the way that communications go in an organization and the way that the organization treats their employees and their clients and that relationships between the people will become more human and less hierarchical and less rigid and less tense and less politically correct, but more open and curious and connecting. And and the same would be true with, with people who are thinking of this in terms of their family or their neighborhood or exactly. exactly exactly and i often say that you know even in the in the first information is this this will help you not just at work but it'll help you in your life and but at the same time it's you cannot you cannot make people right you offer you offer suggestions you offer activities that give people insights then they get to choose and of course as we know you know, from a coaching perspective, you cannot change anyone. People have to want to change and it has to be the right time for them. And so what I do is create an environment where people, first of all, feel safe, feel welcomed, feel appreciated. And then we offer examples of, of how we have beliefs that have consequences. And then we look at it thinking, is this how we want it to be? Or if I had a negative impact on my coworker, what could I do to have a better more positive impact, and especially on the clients that we serve, right? So I think it has that ability to, you know, chart a course that you can choose to walk across that that bridge, that connecting bridge, or this going to a better place that at all times is going to have to be your own choice to do it, that nobody can make you do. But I believe that it's so worth it. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think you've made that abundantly clear, and that's a perfect place to end the conversation. Our guest today, Hilda Montenegro-Fix, is the author of the essay, Remembering Love, in the January-February 2024 issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Hilda, thanks for joining us on the Spirituality and Health podcast. Thank you. Tell us where people can find you on the internet. I've got celebratediversity.co. Is there anywhere else? That's correct. That is the main place. Yeah, that is the best place to to find out Nothing about the in- Instagram or I do have a LinkedIn under my name, Hilda Montenegro Fix, as well. And that's another good place where I'm present and checking and connecting with people. So okay. it, either of those two are great. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. This is this is really interesting. Spirituality and Health Podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Trupiano, and our executive producer is Brenna Lilly. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. And if you're not already a subscriber to Spirituality and Health Magazine, please become one at spiritualityhealth.com. From everyone at Spirituality and Health Magazine, we thank you for your support. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.